Welcome back to Sunshine with Rain. I'm Lauren Colon. And I'm Julie Hayes. Today, we have a special guest, Michelle Pesakovich, recording via FaceTime audio all the way from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Michelle, welcome to Sunshine with Rain. My name is Michelle Pesakovich, and I am a licensed esthetician, and I am a newer business owner of the Naked Beach Waxing Studio here in Minneapolis. I'm a huge advocate for sexual health and wellness and just being positive about your body overall. And that's why I'm excited to be here today and talk about that with you. Perfect. So we're going to discuss a couple different things today. We're going to discuss STD awareness and normalization, the female anatomy, sex and religion. Um, We might talk about waxing if we have time. I'm kind of just going to play it by ear and see where these conversations take us. So STD awareness and normalization. According to the American Sexual Health Association, one in two sexually active people will contract a STD or STI by the age of 25. And more than half of all those people will have an STD or STI at some point in their lifetime. So Raina Perez, who's the clinic lead for UC Berkeley Sexual Health Education Program, or SHEP, defined the STI stigma as shame with oneself about having an STI or amongst other people. So what do you guys think about that topic? Do you think that there is a stigma on STIs and STDs? I definitely think that there is a stigma for sure. And I just feel like I wish people didn't have to feel guilty about contracting these things because almost, I want to say at least half of the time, it's not their fault. The other person doesn't disclose and they just tend to feel guilty and put themselves in this bubble. And I wouldn't want to feel guilty for something that's not my fault. I feel like the biggest problem in here too is that women not just women, I guess women and men, but they conform themselves to this idea that they're either clean or dirty. If they have an STD, I think that's where the stigma lies. And so you're not dirty if you have an STD and it doesn't come down to being dirty versus clean. I think it's wild how many, especially women, go around without even knowing that they have a carrying virus. So one in four women have the herpes virus, one in five men do. What a lot of people don't realize, and this is something that I didn't realize until I was 22 years old and have had STD tests done every six months because that's what they recommend when you're a sexually active person. However, the herpes blood test is not on a standard STD panel because they are more than likely to deliver false positives and unclear results. So, and a lot of times because of the herpes stigma, because of the word itself, a lot of times testing can be done through a DNA Specific culture tests can be done too, or if you're lucky, you have an outbreak. And I mean, if you're lucky. that Well, that way you know too, right? So if you have an outbreak, you're going to go and you're going to actually get that checked out. But so many people that do carry the herpes virus, if you don't ever have an outbreak, you don't know that you have it. And if you're not going to your doctor to have that discussion of, hey, um, can you test me for this? If you think that your STD panel already is coming up clean and you're being tested for that, then they're just not educated to know to ask for it. And then they don't know, they don't find out, and they're spreading that with more people. So that was personally the case for me. I have been sexually active for five years Every six months, if not every four months, I've been getting, through my primary care physician, your standard STD panel test. I'd look at my my chart after, see that I got a negative on gonorrhea, negative on chlamydia, and, you know, you'd move on. A couple months ago, in the summer, I was having some weird symptoms. I had been more fatigued than usual, 
I had been more depressed than usual. And a lot of times you don't imagine that those are symptoms of a latent STD sitting in your body. I went to my doctor. I happened to have every single test done through my blood. And she called me with the results and very casually told me that I was clear on everything besides for herpes simplex 2, which is the virus of genital herpes. Now, my virus is asymptomatic, which means I never had an outbreak, and I likely won't ever have an outbreak. But that's not the case for a lot of people, and it didn't mean that I wasn't completely shocked and honestly really disheartened because I felt like I had been so on top of my sexual health, and this was just something that absolutely you know, kind of put me down after feeling so confident about my own body, feeling so confident telling partners that I'm clean, using condoms regardless, and then to get it back that I've had a latent virus for who knows how long was super shocking to me. And then I look up symptoms, and a lot of times symptoms of a latent herpes virus give you depression, give you fatigue, give you anxiety, And it kind of goes into more of a mental state thing. And it was just something I was not expecting at all. Well, I think that the the ultimate thing that you championed is the fact that you went out and got it done. And you can't hold that guilt towards yourself because like you said, it does so much. It does so many things to deteriorate your mental health. And I feel like mental health, physical, even sexual health, they all kind of go hand in hand. And I don't feel like you should put that burden on yourself because you did everything necessary that you needed to do. And it's just, honestly, it's one of those things that you don't know until it happens and you based your reaction off of that. And now that this happened to you, you've created this wealth of knowledge about sexual testing, STD, STIs. I mean, you're telling me facts of things that I had never even knew about in my entire life. And so I think you, this situation, there's a silver lining and you just gain this newfound perspective and all this new information. And also having the strength to discuss that, right? I think that you can have terrible things happen to you and you can suppress them and you can try to cover them up and you can try to bury them. But creating a platform where you're encouraged to speak about it or where you're vulnerable about your experience. So that way other people that are going through the same thing think, I'm not different or weird or gross or dirty because of that, because you're not, there's not, you don't know when you, when it happened. And if you're using condoms, sometimes condoms break or sometimes they just don't work out. They're not a hundred percent. Nothing in life is birth control isn't a hundred percent. Plan B isn't a hundred percent. When you're sexually active, you do have to be very careful, but no matter how careful you are, Things happen and you're not a lesser person because you carry that virus. You're not a lesser person if you if you have chlamydia and you pop a pill to get rid of it, right? And I think that's something that we were discussing before we started recording is that the stigma on STIs and STDs is if it's curable, it's not a big deal. Take a pill and you're fine. But if it's not curable, then something's wrong with you, right? And then you you want to avoid that person or that person's dirty. And I think that's so sad because that's truly not the case. Sometimes the most safe people can have those things. I mean, even like I think about in Queer Eye, right? How Jonathan Van Ness just came out and he was open 
and vulnerable about being HIV positive. And that's such a huge thing. Everyone acted like it was so crazy that someone that's so free spirited and loving and kind and warm and capable of making people's lives so much better. How crazy is it that he's HIV positive? Well, you can be those things. A a virus does not define who you are as the core person that you are. And I think that it's really sad that it's not discussed more and that people are so embarrassed to talk about it because so many people, I mean, you said one in four women, one in five men, one of my closest friends has the exact same strain of the virus as you do. And she's had such a hard time communicating about that and talking about it because People look at her differently, but they wouldn't if we talked about it. And just like we've been saying that for mental health and depression and bipolar disorder or manic depression or anxiety, the more you talk about it, the less scary it is. It's only taboo if you keep it a secret. Right. And I feel like some of these things, like people think that this is a scarlet letter. They think that it's supposed to be branded and it's engraved on you forever and ever. No, this is just a fragment of a part of my life that I will get over and move on and figure out, but I will also learn how to live with this this newfound thing. And I think that there's something so beautiful about change and that you can overcome these things and now it doesn't necessarily have to be a problem. You have a solution and you're able to move forward. And I definitely agree that people should open up the conversation and the dialogue more because that's the only way that we're going to get things to change. And especially with Jonathan, like I stand Jonathan Van Ness so hard and even watching seasons you know, all the seasons of Queer Eye on Netflix, even after he came out with his diagnosis, I was like, you know what? That doesn't make me look at him differently. It makes me appreciate that he's using his platform to be able to shed light on these things that have such a negative stigma or such a big scarlet letter. It's crazy because, you know, when we see cold sores on people, we don't care. We don't blink an eye. And it's not the same for genital herpes where it's unseen and private. And so it's so stigmatized and it's so crazy to see how people look at people like Jonathan Menness and even people like me who live life happily and they don't let it affect them. And they wonder how it's even possible, but it's because it's just, it's not who I am. It's not actually a part of us. It's literally just like a wart on your hand. It's like a wart on your finger. It's just one small thing that really, like, you are loving and kind and generous and open-minded and fair and funny and beautiful. You're so many things, right? That That's more than just, okay, so I have this. And being able to grow from that and actually, like, acknowledge that, hey, this exists, but I'm more than just one thing. And I think that's really important for anyone going through anything, whether you have an STD or whether you have, you know, you're always more, the worst thing that's happening to you in that minute when you find something out that you don't want to hear, you're not just that thing. You're not just the person who lost their job or the person who was broken up with or the person who is called fat. You're way more than that one thing that's just all encompassing at that moment. 
when you step back and you really look at that, the people who love you don't love you for one thing. They love you for a plethora of different things. And you have to learn to love you for all of those different facets of yourself. Amen. I love that. So speaking about loving yourself, let's dive into the female anatomy. The female anatomy is actually broken down into a few different areas. We're going to talk about erogenous zones. This can actually include like the genital area, your nipples, or anywhere really, whatever you're into. So like if somebody goes and like gives you a kiss on on your neck, that would be considered an erogenous zone. Exactly. Whatever gets you like stimulated and in the mood. So it's different for everybody because everybody has different kinks and everybody has different preferences for their own body. Um, so everyone's a little bit different. Men and women are definitely different as well, but also have so many of the same erogenous zones. And a lot of times... Like, women don't particularly think that a man would like his nipples licked during sex, but a lot of times that actually is one of the most stimulating parts for Exactly. So I think it's important to have those, like, open dialogue conversations of, do you like this and does this feel good to you? And if they don't like it, then, okay, stop and reassess, right? But if they do like it, also creating, like, a safe space where you're allowed to tell me what you like without like any judgment or any criticism or, Oh, that's so weird. I always say, don't yuck other people's yums. And I know that's something Lauren says as well all the time. My biggest thing with sexuality is that the range of fetishes and kinks and sexual desires lies on such a wide spectrum. A lot of times it's also something deep inside people that they don't control. I realized when I was very, very young that I liked watching lesbians during porn to get myself stimulated, to get myself excited. And as a young child, especially growing up, you know, before we had this open conversation about being gay or lesbian, I was definitely scared and I was worried about what would happen when I grew older and started experimenting with people sexually. Who am I going to like? Am I going to like girls or am I going to like boys? But in reality, it, that doesn't really have a play in it because in the end, I do really like boys. However, I don't like watching boys during porn. That doesn't stimulate me. That doesn't get me excited. But it does physically in the real world. And I think a lot of times people shame kinks and or what people watch during porn and things like that because it, it's another thing that people say defines someone's character. No, it's just it's something about them. I think what it really breaks down to is that people are terrified of things that are different than they are. So for example, right, if you think about race and racism, that you're different than me, you look different than me, so we're not equal, something's wrong with you, or you're less than I am. If you think about that with sexuality, you're different than me, you like a different gender than I do, so something's wrong with you, um, et cetera. And I think that people do that with kink shaming, I think they do that with with just most things, things that are different than you. I think that 20, this generation is so far the most accepting and understanding and empathetic generation that we've had so far because we all are just doing our best. And I think we're being more vulnerable and we're talking more to therapists. And I mean, even like with cancel culture, right? We're canceling people because they are selecting you know, one person or saying one thing wrong and we're saying, oh no, that's not what's acceptable anymore. And that's something that's unique to our generation. They never had that before. I definitely agree. I feel like our generation is talking so much more on social media and communicating 
these needs and different wants and all these things with different races and different people and different sexualities. And I feel like things are not as taboo as they were, but they're definitely not where they should be. Like talking about the clitoris, for example, I feel like we are moving in such a fast paced era. And I think that just the way that we're communicating about things and talking about them more thoroughly has changed the way our generation is viewed. So, I mean, if we're thinking, let's talk about the clitoris. If we're thinking back, historically speaking, the first ever, you know, physical examinations of a woman's body was done by a man. So looking at a woman and looking at a female anatomy, first of all, the vagina is not what lies on the outside. It's not your anatomy that would be called the vulva. Your vagina is everything that's inside of your body. Your clitoris was created for one purpose and one purpose only, and that was for sexual pleasure. There is nothing on the male body, nothing in male anatomy that has only one purpose of sexual pleasure. People like to say that a vagina or a woman is nothing but someone to procreate, something to carry a baby. And while that is one of the most beautiful things that a woman can do, is carry a child, is give birth to a child. That's not all we are. We have more purpose, and our bodies have purpose, and better yet, there's a part of our body that's only purpose is for our own pleasure, and it's something that I feel like women are so terrified to explore, and that's what's so great about our generation and about our time in our world right now is that we can talk about female pleasure. We can talk about the clitoris. Females have taken over, take... Uh, physically examining a woman's body. You go to a gynecologist that is 99% of the time a woman, which is not a problem if it's a man by any means, but a woman knows her body more than any other person in this world. That it's important to be informed and to be in tune with your own self, with your pleasures, with your anatomy, and physically what it looks like and physically how it feels is important to be aware of. And I think that it's important that it's not a taboo conversation, that you feel comfortable having that conversation with your partner and say, you know, because I think that a lot of people assume that women have orgasms, or I think a lot of women fake orgasms when they're having sex, and they say, like, you know, if you're having sex for 15, 20, 30 minutes, right? Um, the average sex session is 15 minutes. So in 15 minutes, if you're not really having any foreplay and a lot of women aren't having orgasms because they have no clit stimulation. So like Lauren, what do you think about that? I know personally for me, like my dad was a pastor and going to church, like we're taught obviously to abstain from sex and things like that. But when I became sexually active at 17, I never had those conversations because I had to hide it from my parents. And the fact that oh my God, having sex was such a taboo thing and all these things. So I never had these open conversations. And I just think it's so important to be able to talk about things like that. Like my OBGYN is a guy, um, but I actually want to change to a woman because I just don't feel as comfortable as I once did when I was younger. And I just think that something needs to be said, especially when religion comes into play, to let like when I lost my virginity, I felt like such a scarlet letter because I wasn't married. I was not in the right headspace. It wasn't the right time. Like I wish it would have gone differently. But I think that not having that conversation made me feel so guilty because I genuinely didn't know. 
And then a lot of women don't have the conversation later because you don't have it initially. So why are you going to have it later or even with your partner? It's not until you finally start talking to your friends or an older sister, depending, like I had Jenna and Jenna was so open about anything I've ever needed to ask her. Anytime I was like, this feels weird or what can I try that's new because I don't like the way that this feels. She was always very receptive, but I know that I had a very unique experience. That's not something that everyone has is that kind of open dialogue with the people that they trust the most, who's going to be transparent with you about, oh, I don't like that position either. It makes me feel either self-conscious or I can never get the rhythm right. Or, you know what I mean? Like, and she would sit there and she would talk to me. Um, and I think because of that, I felt more comfortable exploring my body because I didn't feel like a freak doing it and no one else is doing it. Cause it's not the cool thing to do. I think for me, it was tough because I grew up with, I mean, I'm a first generation Russian Jewish girl and in Russia, not only was sex not talked about, but mental health was not talked about. No one had anxiety. No one had depression. No one talked about sexuality. You got married when you were young, and then you had a baby, and you lived your life, and that was it. And when my parents came to America and had me, I think it was kind of tough for them to understand why I was even going through sexual health classes and fifth grade and then again in seventh grade and then again in 10th grade and they thought okay well the schools are going to take care of it so I never spoke to my parents about sex or sexuality I had an older brother who was six and a half years older and he had a girlfriend who practically lived with us and so in my head I knew what sex was I knew that people did that and I knew that one day I was going to do that but I was not prepared on who to talk to about it and who to talk to when I needed those kind of support answers. Like, I am uncomfortable, or what position do you do you even do when you're trying to lose your virginity? And those things are questions that eventually you started just Googling because you didn't have resources. And I think that's what's so nice about, again, like we were talking about our day and age and our generation and having these open platforms and open discussions with friends and partners and you know, in our case, internet friends about sexuality and about being more comfortable with your body and being comfortable talking about it. Right. I mean, for me, I never even, I mean, no one ever told me that masturbation was a form of self-care. I think for men that that's so wildly accepted, like, oh yeah, you know, I get a boner and I'm horny and I watch porn and I masturbate and everyone's like, oh, well guys will be guys. But if a woman had the same conversation when I was in high school, I thought that that made you super weird. Or when I first became sexually active, I became sexually active before my friends had. And so all of them, you know, you very quickly get those negative words and that negative stigma of, you know, she's a slut or she's a whore or, you know, all of those mean like those just negative, nasty words, but really no, you're just a, a woman who knows what she enjoys and what she likes and is passionate about sex. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with you for feeling that way. I mean, I just think slut shaming has been so prevalent, even in like tying back to Christianity and in the olden days, like there is a story about a prostitute named Rahab and she's considered to be like an ambiguous character in the Bible because she betrays the king and country in order to save herself and her family. And her confession of faith is like, 
more pot, like it's less pious than strategic. And it's hard to consider her whether she's a heroine or a traitor, but literally she laid her life down on the line to save herself, even though she was slut shamed. And she's definitely considered a hero, a heroine in my eyes, because she just literally transformed the way people looked at prostitution and who she was. And I think that there's something so important to talk about who she was and who she became and the things that she did and the actions that she took as a woman that paved the way for women today. And Christianity is the most practiced religion in the U.S., but there's still such a stigma that says if you are unmarried and you're practicing sex that you're not a good Christian. I'm sorry. My relationship with God is personal, and whether I have unmarried sex, that shouldn't be considered a consequence of religion. You know who that makes me think of? Hannah Brown, the most recent bachelorette, who said, guess what? I had sex in the windmill and Jesus still loves me because what she says is Jesus died for our sins, right? It might not be the most pure thing to do, but it's 2019 and people have sex and people enjoy sex. That doesn't make me an evil, bad person. So when she said that, like she... I never felt so fucking seen in my entire life because Hannah and I are actually the same age. And just seeing somebody like her take that take that statement and run with it on TV, I'd never felt more proud to be a Christian in that moment because she is sticking up for every other girl that all, that got slut-shamed for losing her virginity before they got married. And I'm sorry, I'm not getting myself into an ironclad marriage to have sex. I'm not fucking doing it. You want to know that you enjoy it and that it feels good and that you like it and that that's the right person and that it feels good together and that they care about how you feel afterwards. There are so many different layers to sex. It can be just sex. It can be an emotional connection. But I completely agree with you. It's like I always say, I would never marry, I would have never married Aaron if I didn't live with him first because I want to know, are we really compatible? Divorce rates are higher than ever. And that started with our parents. And so y'all might have followed all of the biblical rules, but something didn't work. Doesn't the Bible say not to get divorced too? I mean, I'm just saying, if we're picking and choosing rules to follow here, wouldn't you want to set your marriage up with the highest level of success? And then speaking of marriage, um, what was that movie, the Greek movie? My Big Fat Greek Wedding. So my there's like certain cultures or religions that are very like matriarchal worthy. Like Michelle, I know Jew, like Judaism and Jewish culture, like the matriarch is the head of the house. And there's this part in my big fat Greek wedding where she says, the man is the head of the house, but the woman is the neck and she can turn the head in any which way she wants. And I think that is just the pinnacle of society and culture moving forward. Michelle, what do you think? So something that I, I mean, I'm not shaming Christianity by any means. I love all religions, but something that I do love about Judaism is that it is generally a very positive religion when it comes to sex. Now they don't encourage sex premaritally, you know, uh, the Torah is half of the Bible. The old Testament is there. So a lot of times it does come in and they have similar ideas, but 
sex in Judaism is a divine gift. It's a holy, it's a holy obligation. On every Sabbath of the week, when you have sex with your husband, you are performing an act of God. You are actually not allowed to have sex with a woman, with a Jewish woman, unless you sexually satisfy her as well, if you are a Jewish man. So when you follow Jewish law, when you get married, your marriage is not real until you have sex, but you're not just having sex. You are sexually satisfying your woman. Sexual activity is considered something that is holy in Judaism, and actually celibacy is something that's mainly frowned upon. Sex is important in a marriage. It's not just for procreation. It's not just for a man. It's for a woman. It's for your partnership. It's to, just like Julie said, to form a marriage without having that type of connection, both physical and spiritual. I don't think that, you know, you have a successful marriage if you're not having both pleasure in your sexual activities together. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. And I think that just navigating that relationship, especially before you get married, like that's a lifelong commitment. And I know that I, and my views have definitely changed on this because when I was younger and especially before even Juan and I moved in together, I was like, I'm not going to live with you unless we're engaged. I don't believe in that. Like times have changed. And like, I just think just vocalizing that and talking about these things, it just makes the relationship so much better and being able to be open with your partner, especially about sexuality and spirituality and things like that. It We're really taking the conversation by the horns and moving at our own pace instead of the pace that was laid out before us. And not every map is meant to be followed the same way because my sister's got married at a very young age and had kids at a very young age. And both of them have been divorced. And divorce is like a huge no-no. And, you know, I felt bad when my sisters got divorced because there was place on such a stigma on them of like divorcees and like it's tough getting back out there in the world. But that doesn't mean that the church shunned them. Listen, if a marriage doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. And if I've done everything that I can to save this marriage, I'm not going to stay here and be miserable, especially if I'm not being fed physically, emotionally, spiritually, or mentally. Amen, girl. So do you guys just want to dive right into silver linings? Um, Michelle, I know that we've discussed silver linings, so you kind of have a better understanding of what it is. But guys, this is the segment of the podcast where we take one of the most stressful or scary or horrible things of our week, and we try to find one positive from that, something that pushed us to make us better or grow, etc., uh, Lauren, do you want to go first? Yeah, sure. So my silver lining is I'm actually traveling to New York for the holidays with my um, with Juan and Justin and Carly and our families. And I love going to see my family, but it just gives me so much anxiety because I know that I'm not where I want to be appearance-wise. And my family is full of women. I have six aunts, and they're just all very cutthroat and I am so anxious about the comments that I'm going to hear about like my weight gain and like if my hair is not long enough, if my makeup's not done, like if I don't look perfect and pristine and like I am so fucking tired of having to paint my face every day and get my mask ready and show up and I literally have so much anxiety about this trip. The silver lining is that we're all going to be together for the first time in 
a long time. My grandma is 88 years old and we're actually going to be spending Christmas together for the first time. This is going to be the first time that she meets Juan and it's just going to be so nice to be together. But right now I'm having so much anxiety about just going and trying to figure out like what I'm going to wear and like it's going to be cold. So I'm going to be bundled up. Am I going to look bigger? Like I'm just so fucking stressed. I think that it'll you'll have a really good time because you are spending time with your family. But I also think that's a cultural thing. What is your what's your is it heritage nationality? What what does that mean? Which one is it? It's ethnicity. I'm Puerto Rican, so the women in my family are very. I don't want to say bullheaded, but they're just very stubborn and they say what whatever's on their mind and they don't have any um, filter. Yes, they don't have any filter. In Spanish, it's called disimular. Filter out the area and like it, there's a right place and a, and a right time for everything. And Spanish women don't know what that is. And they just tend to take those jabs out whenever they can. Can completely relate. And Jewish people call this um, type of woman a yenta. And it's funny because... I completely dread my family get-togethers for the exact same reason. It's always, you're not eating enough, you're eating too much, you don't look good enough, you wore sweatpants, you didn't wear sweatpants. There's there's really no winning sometimes, and it's a blessing and a curse because you have people who care about you immensely and pay attention to every single detail about you, and the curse is that you feel judged and kind of put down a lot of times. No, thank you for that. I totally agree. And it's just definitely something that's been on my mind, but hopefully my anxiety will be down by the time this happens. Um, Michelle, what about you? What's your silver lining? So this week I decided to do something a little bit wild, which was camp out for a meet and greet. And I know this doesn't seem bad for some, but for me it was an experience that I wanted to go a completely different way than it did. I waited for 10 hours in a mall, three of those being outside in the freezing cold rain, sitting on concrete, just to try and meet Shane Dawson and Jeffree Star. They're big YouTubers. One is a huge makeup CEO, and he's my biggest inspiration. And I just wanted to see them, and it just didn't work out. But... The plus side of this all and the silver lining of it all was that this pushed me definitely out of my comfort zone. I went by myself and everyone around me had at least two, three people with them. I was able to meet so many people who have similar likes that I do. We shared a passion for makeup the same way. We stood in line in the middle of Mall of America and did each other's eyeshadow and lipstick. A couple of the girls saw that I was by myself and offered me to sit on their blanket A couple other girls offered to get me McDonald's breakfast while I waited in line. I held a couple girls' spots while they held my spots. It was just kind of one of those environments and experiences that you don't get to have. So I definitely didn't have any regrets. I didn't get to see my idol, my heroes. But I got to experience some fun times with completely random strangers who I eventually, you know, we all follow each other on Instagram. Now we've been DMing. We're friends. They live close. We want to grab coffee. So in those moments where you put yourself out of your comfort zone, I feel like you can really find good people and 
it's hard to find friends in real life, especially in 2019, almost 2020. You don't go out and just meet a random stranger and decide if they're your friend. It's weird to even meet people like significant others out. Everything is Everyone's online. using technology. Yep, exactly. Everything's online now. And I think that just being brave enough to go out, no one does anything by themselves anymore. We have social media in our pocket all day, every day. No one just sits and exists. And that's something that Michelle, when we were talking to Ricky the other day, right, about going to the movie theater by himself, that's something that we discussed is it's scary. And it's only scary the first time you do something. It's only scary the first time you eat by yourself at a restaurant or go to, if, if you let fear be the thing that stops you, you're going to miss out on so many awesome experiences. And even though this experience didn't turn out exactly how you hoped, now you know for next time you're, you can do it and you can hold your own and you can be alone and still find friends and feel comfortable. And, and that's, I think that's just a really valuable lesson in itself. And not all girls are mean. There's nice people. As women, we feel intimidated by one another. And one of my favorite quotes is, a real queen fixes another queen's crown. And I think that's something you can really set in place in your mind that women should lift each other up. Women, the strongest kind, are the ones that feel for one another. They understand each other. They're there for one another, even strangers. And that's definitely something I learned this weekend. Absolutely. And it's all about empowering and supporting one another. I think that that's a really beautiful testament. And I also love that quote because we're so used to looking at each other and saying, that's my competition. But imagine what we can accomplish if everyone bands together, right? There's so many amazing things that can come from that. My silver lining this week is that I get filled with stress and anxiety and dread Christmas shopping. I am the craziest person about this. Like, honestly, Aaron and I have a fight about this every single year. I feel the need to either over, like overspend to show and prove how much I care about people, or I have to have the most elaborate, like emotionally invested gift ever. Like it's a competition. Like Oh, Julie has this one time five years ago, Hannah mentioned she liked this thing and I was able to track it down. And in a huge gesture of my friendship and love, I was able to bring that back to her. And I think that that's because I really like presents that show that they care. I don't like like Aaron, he knows he could buy me an iPad. I really need an iPad. So like if Aaron's listening to this, please just give me an iPad. But, um, Aaron could buy me an iPad or he can buy me AirPods or something that has no sentimental value, but flowers being delivered to my job means so much more. So I think that because I have like unrealistic expectations for myself is I can't just accept a gift. That's just a financial contribution to my life. I want like when he proposed, right? That was a huge thing. It wasn't just about the ring. I didn't just say yes, because the ring, But when he proposed, he also had an entire envelope of letters from everyone in my life who loved me that knew he was doing it, congratulating me on the proposal. And that was such a huge thing for me. That in itself was like, I'm marrying the right man. It's not about being on top of an empire state building or anything like that. It's about, it was about those letters. Like this is a man I could spend the rest of my life with. 
So I put such an immense amount of pressure on myself when shopping for everyone. And I'm such a freaking nut job about it. And especially if they don't live here, like Jenna, my mom, Zach, Jason, Courtney, Eliana, Collier. I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to have the best, most wild gift out of anyone because I don't see them every day. So I can't show them every day that I love them. So I started doing that as usual this year. It's um, the time of the year where I start to plan all of the Christmas gifts. And Aaron was like, ma'am, simmer down. You're enough and you can't give everybody the world and you shouldn't have expectations for everyone to give that to you either. And um, he's like, it's way more considerate. Like he's like, you know, he's like with Jenna, he's like, she's a mom, right? Like she doesn't have alone time. She doesn't get as much self-care. She's with her kids 24 seven. So maybe, you know, reach out to Zach and be like, Hey, I'm going to get Jenna a spa voucher. Can you watch the kids on this day? If I go ahead and book her an appointment like two weeks later and make sure that that would work. He's like, that's one, a good gift, but it's also like $75, right? So like a reasonable price for a family member. He's like, and then you're also double checking that she doesn't have to run around and find coverage for herself because if Zach can't watch the kids, then reach out to Courtney or mom or Jason and make sure that she's able to get that time for her own self, which she deserves. So really like putting that into perspective for me and being like, Hey, you're doing that thing again, where you start getting crazy and you start thinking like he's, he kind of like grounded me. Um, and I was able to remember that people don't love me for what I buy them at Christmas People love me for what I offer them all year round, which is support and understanding and empathy and solid advice. Or sometimes I just shut up and I let them talk at me because they don't want advice. They just need a space to be listened to and not judged. And I can always give that. And I think that that's a rare thing to find in itself. And that's has to, and I'm learning that that's enough, right? It doesn't have to be with all of the, like, Love doesn't come with a million terms and conditions, but when it comes, and I know that when I talk to other people, but I really struggle with that with myself. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And listen, you're coming from somebody that has 13 immediate family members, that's sisters, brother-in-laws, kids, parents, and then you have your significant other's parents and sisters and nieces and nephews and all that stuff. And, you know, I definitely agree with you. And there's no, so... There's no kind of gift than an experience or being there for somebody. And like I tell my nieces and nephews all the time because they're younger, like, listen, I unfortunately don't have the money to buy each and every one of you a gift. But when you have a baseball game, I'll be there. When you have a basketball game, I'll be there or a football game or a dance recital. I'm taking that time out of my day to go there and be with you and be present and show up. And I think there's something so invaluable about showing up and being there and whether it's a FaceTime for Eliana and Collier or just taking an hour out of your day to be with them that means more than a toy that they're going to grow out of in six months exactly exactly so I think that would be that wraps up my silver lining Um, And that concludes this week's episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at sunshine with rain podcast and check out our website, www.sunshinewithrain.com. Please rate review and subscribe on all platforms. We'd like to take a minute and thank our guest, Michelle, for collaborating with us on this week's episode. Michelle, where can our listeners look you up to keep tabs on your personal page 
and your new business page? Well, first of all, thank you guys so much for having me. I had so much fun doing this, and I just want to say that I can't relate to the presence of it all and the Christmas of it all, but I completely agree that both you and Lauren are gifts of it all. I mean, the gift of friendship, the gift of somebody's presence is better than anything, I'd have to say. But for me, my personal Instagram is Michelle Elizabeth Makeup. That's Elizabeth with an S. I know my mom was weird. And for my business, you can follow me at the Naked Peach Waxing Studio. And that's naked and peach like the fruit. All right. We'll talk to you all next week. Stay thirsty, my friends. Cheers. Cheers.